Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. We are going to find ourselves in Psalm 119 again, and we will be covering verses 145 through 152. Verses 145 through 152, these are the words of God. I cry with all my heart, answer me, O Lord. I will observe your statutes. I cried to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from your law. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Of old, I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. This morning, as we work through these uh, verses, what I hope you will see is a bit of an understanding of what should uh, what should be included in each and every one of our prayers. We should be a people who understand that the Bible even presents us with an anatomy of prayer, how we're supposed to uh, approach our Heavenly Father, how we can run to Him, what our heart's condition should be. All of those pieces are really displayed very well in in the Scriptures. Uh, Many pastors have taught for many years the Lord's Prayer, and they've dissected that prayer in different ways, talking about how we should always begin our prayers with worship and things things like this. And and all of that is wonderful. Those things are really awesome uh, messages that we should follow in the anatomy of prayer. But today I want to take you to what David does with his prayer. And I hope you'll, ex- you'll see some really big ideas. And then at the end of all of this, I'm going to wrap it all together in the in the current situation that we're in, in the climate that we're in as, uh, as a country and as a world uh, inside of this, uh, this unique time that we find ourselves. So without further ado, we're going to jump into verse 145 and we will walk through this verse by verse as well as uh, finding some really great cross-references for the points that we're dealing with. So verse 145 again says this, I cried with all my heart, answer me, O Lord, I will observe your statutes. The very first thing we see in the anatomy of prayer is the quality of the prayer. Okay, the quality of the prayer that we offer to God is something uh, of the utmost importance as far as I see it. And the quality of that prayer we see in verse 145 is that we are to cry out to God with all of our heart all of our heart. But we really do need to understand a little bit better what that means. What, what does it mean to cry out with all of our heart? Is, is there a way that we can cry out with, with a little bit of our heart? Well, yes, in some sense, there is a half-hearted approach to just about anything in life. That's why that phrase exists. So the idea of the quality of our prayer needs to be a wholehearted prayer. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, we, re- we read the familiar, the famous Shema of Israel. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, when we fast forward into the New Testament in Luke chapter 10, and there's other references in Matthew, but in Luke chapter 10, verses 26 through 28, Jesus is confronting a lawyer or maybe the other way around. A lawyer came and confronted Jesus. And, and Jesus basically says to this man, he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? What, what should you do? What should you be doing? What is written in the law and how should you read it? Or how do you read it? And the lawyer answered Jesus with the Shema. But there's an interesting change in what he says in the Shema. Uh, and, and that change is not to Jesus' disdain. It's to his approval. Look at what he says. The lawyer responds to Jesus and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, uh, you've gotten it out of context. No, Jesus didn't say that. Uh, Jesus said to him, you're adding to the word of God. No, no, he he didn't say that. He says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But what's the difference in these two uh, declarations? In Deuteronomy 6, we see you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. The lawyer says to Jesus, and this is really important for our understanding of how to interpret the Bible. I think sometimes we get really strict on things that we have no business being strict on, and then we're not strict enough on certain things, okay? And so here's what this man responds to Jesus with. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul. Okay, that's in the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Okay, that's in the Shema. All your heart and all your soul. And you shall love the Lord with all your strength. Well, that sounds like might. That's pretty good. And with all your mind. Okay, now, now we're including a new worldview. It's very different from the ancient time of, of Moses to now in this pseudo-modern era of the New Testament. And so now they want to, the, the, the lawyer says, you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your, your mind, your soul, your strength, and your heart. What is he doing here? All he is communicating is the same thing that the Shema intended to communicate, and it's the very condition of the heart that David wants us to pray with, and that is with your total self. That's it. You can read more into it if you want. You can dissect words and try to play with uh, secret hidden meanings. It's simply not there. What is being communicated over and over throughout Scripture is that we are to, uh, we are to interact with God with everything that we have. That's what's meant by this. So when we read again David's words, I cried with all my heart, answer me, O Lord. He's literally saying, I'm crying with everything that I am. Many of us, uh, again, we approach God in a half-hearted manner. And then we wonder why God is not pleased or we wonder why God sits silent for a period of time. I think a large part of his training us in righteousness is training our hearts to be all in with him. In Jeremiah 29, we often quote Jeremiah 29, 11, but Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13 communicate the exact same principle. He told the Israelites that they were, going to go into, uh, they were going, going into captivity. He told them that he would make a plan for them and, or had a plan for them and make a future for them. But he also says this in verse 12 and 13, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me When you seek me with all your heart. 
You see, it's your whole being that God is asking for. It's everything that you are. So, so a really important idea that we see in a prayer like this is the quality of the prayer. It's an all-in kind of prayer. Uh, in James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, this is what the brother of Jesus says. He says, but he must ask, he's talking about a person praying, he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." You see, what James is referring to is far less the modern idea, well, it's not at all the modern idea of some sort of faithometer, and you got to have a certain level of faith for God to listen to you. What James is referring to in a double-minded man is one who's half-hearted, one who's not fully in and trusting in the Lord, one who doesn't uh, come to God and say, it, it is in you, and I'm coming with all that I have. I can't make this work on my own. I must come to you, Lord. It's a wholehearted approach. So the very first thing that we see in this prayer is the quality of the prayer. It has to be an all-in kind of prayer. That's what God is inviting us to. Now, there's something else in this verse that I find interesting, and that is how we read verses like this. David is not saying, I cry with all my heart, answer me, O Lord, even though some of your translations say this. He is not saying, and if you do that, I will observe your statutes. He's not saying that. What he is saying is, God, I'm crying with all my heart. I'm asking you to answer me, O Lord, and I'm declaring this. I will observe your statutes. Or maybe the way we might render it today is, in the meantime, I'm just going to do what you said. Because that's what David's heart is. It's a heart of obedience and devotion to the God of the universe. We actually see this confirmed in the very next verse. In 146, it says, I cried to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. Here's what you need to read about this, uh, read in this verse. It is a list. It is not a, if this, then this statement. He says, I cried to you, save me. That was the first cry. And here's the second cry, I shall keep your testimonies. It's a declaration of David to the God of the universe. Very important. So what we have in verse 145, again, is the quality of our prayer. It needs to be with all of our heart. The second uh, anatomy to a prayer is the content of the prayer. Look at what it says in verse 146. I cried to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. You see, the content of our prayer uh, is always the content of David's prayer, the content of the entire Old Testament set of prayers, the content even of the New Testament prayers as they should be, are prayers for the justice of God, the kingdom of God, to be here on earth as it is in heaven. That is the content of our prayers. Now let me, let me kind of flesh this out a bit. You say, but Nathan, aren't I supposed to pray for the things that I need? Don't I, shouldn't I do that? Sure, you should call on God for those things. But let me remind you of what the whole of Scripture says. Again, this is the Psalm 119, 160 principle. We have to realize that God says, uh, He cares for you more than He cares for the lilies of the field and the sparrows in, in the sky. That means he's going to provide for you. He's going to, he's going to give you those things. He also says to pray, give us this day our daily bread. 
okay? So he says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm inviting you to pray for those things, to call out for me. But here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to worry about any of them. Why don't I want you to worry about them? Don't I, have, don't I know what you have need of before you ask? Don't I, don't I know what's going on? You see, all of these, uh, what I'll call uh, peripheral prayers, these, these bigger kind of out, out on the periphery, these prayers are something that, of course, we're invited to commune with our Heavenly Father because He loves us. But it's really important that we don't miss that the whole of Scripture communicates exactly what David prays in the content of his prayer, and that is justice. Why is justice so important? Because justice covers all of life. Justice covers everything. David was seeking justice from his enemies. David wants justice for the righteous. Why? Because he doesn't want the, the righteous to be persecuted or to be shamed or be, to be hurt. What is the New Testament calling for when it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? This essence of the Lord's prayer. What are we calling out for? The kingship of Jesus to come and to rule and to reign. This is why it's called the gospel of the kingdom. Because the king has come. What does a king do? Well, the same thing that governments, according to Romans 13, are supposed to do. And that is to be justice, to be the sword. That's what Jesus is supposed to do. What does David know that maybe we've lost sight of? David understands that men don't make good kings. Men fall short. And David understands that even in himself. He knows that he doesn't even do it right. Even as king, what happens to David? He gets, he gets mutinied upon. I mean, he gets thrown out. It, there's all kinds of challenges that happen to David. So David is crying out for justice. So what is the content of the prayer? Save me. This gives us new perspective on that term, save. Most of us have been brought up in kind of the, the Billy Graham era of the church, and that's fine, but we view salvation solely as some sort of intangible spiritual connection that allows us to go to heaven when we die, if that were actually the, the right understanding of the Bible. Uh, but salvation is so much more. Salvation is that our king has come, and he has come to rule and to reign in our lives. He's come to direct every aspect of our life if we will submit and surrender to him. He wants to, he wants to govern as king over our families. He wants to govern as king over our workplace relationships and over our dealings in this world. He wants to do all those things. That's what he's come to do. And so justice is being brought into the world when we're crying out to God. David understands this, so he cries out, Save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. I, I'm amazed by that, uh, by that understanding because as we look at that, it changes how we pray. I'm actually less concerned with the little trivial things in my life, and I'm more concerned with the kingdom of God and what he's bringing about around me. That's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm concerned about, and that, I hope, is what you'll become concerned about. So number one, we have the quality of the prayer. Number two, we have the content of the prayer. Number three, we have the persistence of the prayer. And if we don't read verses 147 and 148 together, I think we run the risk of missing something very beautiful. Look at what it says. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for you for your words. Okay, so what do we take away from this? People who rise early are awesome. 
Everybody up. No, I'm, <laughs> that's, that's not what we take away from this. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your word. Verse 148. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. What did David just say there? I can't wait to get up in the morning to call out to you. And when I look to the night, I think about how I might hear from you. What you would say, your word, your statutes, your truths. I want to meditate on who you are and what you've said in my life. You see, what David is doing is the same thing he's doing in this entire great psalm. He's going from beginning to end, from morning to evening, or from alpha to omega, This entire psalm is an acrostic in the Hebrew language, and each section of the scripture represents a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so uh, if you want to understand the importance of God's word, read Psalm 119. Why? Because you're going to see the importance of, of God's word from A to Z. You're going to see the totality of the importance of God's word in Psalm 119. It's just a beautiful picture. But the same thing is happening now. And that is David's desire to lean into God's word. David's desire to commune with God is right here. He's saying, in the morning, I can't wait. And I look forward to the evening to hear what you're going to say. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night. He doesn't say... Uh, here comes night. He says, I'm anticipating the night. Why? I anticipate the night watches because I may meditate on your word. So I'm going to cry out to you and then I'm going to wait and I'm going to listen to what you have to say. Now there's a lot in these two verses that I think we need to think through. Why do I call it the persistence of prayer? Because this is a constant thing. Morning and evening, you're constantly seeking after God. That's the persistence of this. You're waiting for the word of God. You're resting in what God might say. There's a, there's a great deal of humility inside of all this as well. You see, the New Testament tells us that we are supposed to be a persistent people. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself is the one who calls us to persistent prayer. He talks about a a parable. He talks about a story of an unrighteous judge and a widow who, interestingly enough, seeks justice because that is the content of our prayer. So she's seeking justice and God is for those people who for whom justice is being overlooked. And so she's crying out for justice. And he says this in the parable. He says that that she uh, persistently went to the judge so much so that he got exhausted. Okay, he's a wicked judge. He got exhausted and he said, I'm just going to give this lady what she wants so she'll leave me alone. And, and I know that we've all endured relationships like that inside of our life. But she was very persistent. God, in an interesting way, parallels himself to this, not an unrighteous judge. He parallels himself to this by saying, if that one, an unrighteous judge, will finally give in, how much more will God give in? How much more is God willing to listen to you and ready to listen to you? But it is an invitation because Jesus then goes on to say, I tell you this so that you'll be persistent in your praying. We need to be persistent. Here's the the modern church's model. I prayed for it once. I'm just going to go on about my business. That's not persistent prayer. That 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 also reveals or betrays an absolute faithlessness in the relationship of prayer. God wants his children to call out to him and to cry out to him and to talk with him and commune with him. 
Okay, so this is really important. So what we're seeing here is the persistence of prayer. Uh, Psalm 57 verse 8 says this, Awake, my glory, awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I love what David does here. He says in his persistence, he's going to be going morning to night. But he's going to start that whole thing off by singing and awakening the dawn, calling out to the God of the universe. I love that picture. He says the same thing in Psalm 108 verse 2. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. And then back to Psalm 119, he says, I rise before the dawn and cry for help. I'm awakening the dawn with my praises and I'm crying out to God for my help in the morning. That's the beauty of what's happening here. Now, I want to talk for a second about the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father because a lot of times we look at this from the angle of waiting on God, hearing God. I want to hear God. I want to do this. But the scripture also communicates that God not only desires, but has a, has a way in which he is waiting to hear us. I think that this is a powerful idea. So again, here's what 147 says. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. There's David. I'm waiting for you to talk to me, Lord. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. But it's the same David who says in Psalm chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, he says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. And then I love this picture. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray, in the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. You will hear my voice? David, come on. The only voice you need to hear is God's voice. He doesn't care about what's going on. Doesn't he know what you have need of before you ask? Didn't we talk about that earlier? Yes. But David knows that any relationship requires or longs for communion in both ways. Why does God walk with Adam and Eve in the garden? Because he communes with his people. That's what he's doing. What is communion all about? It's this experience where we are coming together with the king of the universe. We are communing with him and he is communing with us. It's a two-way relationship. I love that. Now, John chapter 9 verse 31 gives us a framework for how we are heard by God. Here's what John says. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. What does Jesus say when he's asked uh, to disrupt his meeting to pay attention to his mother and his brothers that are outside? He says, who are my mother and my brothers? Those who do the will of my father. The family of God consists of the, the obedient ones, the ones surrendered to his word and to his ways. And the scripture tells us, New Testament, mind you, John 9, 31, God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. That's pretty powerful. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Again and again, we're going to see this. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to commune with God. We're supposed to wait to hear his word. But he wants to hear us. In order to hear us, our responsibility is to walk humbly before our God. This principle is all over the scripture. God rejects the proud. But what does he do? He gives grace. He hears. He listens to the humble. 1 John chapter 5, verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, what is John implying? 
and we know he hears us. <laughs> so, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Now, understanding the context of that is something very important, and it's not something I have time for today, but I encourage you to study that this week. It's really cool. Uh, Psalm 66, verses 17 through 20. Again, David, I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. The Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. So what do we have here? First, we have the quality of the prayer. That is, all your heart. Then we have the content of the prayer. That is, justice and understanding how justice applies to everything inside of our life. Third, we have the persistence of prayer. And a sub-point in that persistence of prayer is that there is a relationship going on here. We should long to hear God, and He wants to hear us. We must walk rightly before Him, humbly before Him, purely before Him. This is what the Old and New Covenant communicate to us. Okay, so let's move on to verse 149. Here we go on to the humility of the prayer. And I believe that this is something that we don't often or don't always uh, have when we come to the Lord in prayer. The humility of prayer. Psalm 116, 119, 149, here's what it says. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Let me read that again to you. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Notice that David doesn't say, hear my voice according to how cool I am. He doesn't say, hear my voice because I'm just a lovable child of yours. He doesn't say any of that. He actually never gets focused on himself. That's a modern problem. Instead, he is humble and he recognizes this powerful truth that says, hear my voice, God, according to what? Your character your loving kindness, your ways, if it is not for the grace and the mercy and the loving kindness of God, church, listen to me, if it weren't for the loving kindness of God, not only would Noah not have survived, neither would the seven others that God saved with him. It is the mercy of God that saves. It is the mercy of God that listens. It is God's loving kindness. This should humble every one of us. This is why it tells us, although it tells us to boldly approach the throne of grace, why do we boldly approach the throne? Because we know he's loving and kind, not because he owes me, not because I deserve to be here. It's simply not what the Bible says ever. So it's according to his loving kindness. This is a humbling reality. And then he says, revive me, O Lord, according to what I nagged you about. <laughs> no. <laughs> revive me, God, according to this list of things that I want you to do for me in my life. No. David's humility submits himself not to his wants and desires, but to the heart of God. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. God, if it's what you want, if it's your will, if it's your heart, that's what I want. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to do what you want, only what you want. 
And I want what only you want. So what we're seeing here, in, and I believe a very powerful way, is the, the humility of our prayer. God, again, tells us that he rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it's no different inside of our prayer. We should be running to the God of the universe, knowing that he is listening because of his character, because of his loving kindness. And he is going to answer us according to his word. This is why David says, so powerfully, this is why David says, I seek you in the morning. I'm, I'm, I'm waking up. I'm seeking you. I'm wanting to hear your word. And I look forward to the night watches because in them, I get to meditate on your ordinances. Why would David want to meditate on God's ordinances or his statutes or his laws? Because in doing so, he knows how God's going to answer. Listen, if you want to discern the signs of the times, if you want to discern how God is moving inside of the world, read the Bible. Why? Because his ordinances and his statutes communicate what Hebrews tells us is a God who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always going to be with us, church. He's always going to be that, but not because of us, because of his loving kindness. So the humility of the prayer, I believe, is just astounding. We are looking to God, asking God to hear our voice because he is loving and kind. We're asking him to revive us, not according to our wants and desires, but according to his ordinances. The next piece is found in 150, and that is the urgency of the prayer. And this is, this is the one verse in this section of Psalm 119 that you might say, this doesn't look like it belongs here. This seems really strange. What does he say? Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from your law. What's, what's curiously missing in this? Something that says, but I know you'll keep me. But I know you'll win. But I know I'll overcome because I'm an overcomer. Okay, so uh, th that's not there. Okay, you can get my sarcasm and my disdain for some things. But anyway, so 150 says, those who follow after wickedness draw near, they are far from your law. This is important in the anatomy of prayer. This is important for you to hear. God is not intimidated for you to say, it's getting harder, Lord. God is not intimidated. And he also doesn't say, stop the prayer, David, you're a faithless, perverse man. No, David is recognizing what's happening around him. He says to his God, he says, the lawless are drawing near, Lord. What is he still looking for? Justice. <laughs> he's still looking for salvation proper. And so he's calling out to God, but he is honest with it. I think all of us know that we've experienced times like this in our life where things are coming at us and, and they're coming against us and the outlook is actually bleak and very dark. God is not intimidated and he is not condemning of us if we say, Lord, it's getting hard. I don't know what to do. You see, that is the MO of a child to their father, trusting that the father is the one to fix it. You run to the father. The father, this is why God is not condemning us because God doesn't look at us and go, get away from me, you wretched piece of junk. He doesn't say it. He goes, come on, come under my wings. I'll protect you. This is what I want you to do. So as, as darkness surrounds us, as things press in, what should we do? The same thing David does. We should say, God, those who follow after wickedness draw near. They're far from your law. And then what we do is we remember his statutes and let him pick us up and give us peace. So the urgency of the prayer needs to be there. 
If you're not, if there's something that is not urgent in your life, if there's things that you aren't really feeling, I can also assure you, your whole heart won't be in it either. So, when your whole heart is in it, it communicates that there's an urgency to your prayer, and the urgency to your prayer can be honestly shared with God. He is not intimidated by it. So we're living in a weird time right now, and we see all this stuff going on, and people are worried about their, they're worried about their health, they're worried about their finances, they're worried about jobs, they're worried about the future, they're worried about tyranny, and they're worried about oppression, they're worried about all of those things, and God is not caught off guard for you to say, God, it seems like things look bleak. So go to him with it. God, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. Instead, what we often do is we don't go with our whole heart to God, we just go online which makes it bleaker, <laughs> right? We're, we're, running into, we're running from darkness to darkness. Not a good idea. So what we ought to do is say, God, I'm concerned about these things. Concern, venture concerns to God, though. Please do this. Venture concerns to God uh, before you go venting to, uh, to everybody else. I can assure you something uh, in way of you venting or you talking in, in social settings. Somebody's looking to you as their example. Somebody is looking to... I got four little girls. They're constant. I got a wife. They're constantly looking to my, my position and how I'm maintaining myself in the midst of all of this time. They're looking to me and they're following my cues. If I show panic, my house seems to be filled with panic. If I show concern and worry, my house seems to be overwhelmed by worry. If I show peace because of the Lord's peace, if I show, uh, if I show confidence or faith in God to take care of it, you know what's amazing? My girls just go play and they have fun because they're protected. They're in the shadow of the Almighty because the shadow of the Almighty is exactly where I'm resting. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'll confess, I don't always land there. But that's what I'm supposed to do. So when, when it comes to your despair, when it comes to your concern, when it comes to the urgency of your prayers and what's going on, please do something for me. Run to God first before you run and, and share that with everybody else. Somebody's watching you. When you share it with God, what I believe will happen is God's commands and his statutes will comfort you. God's word will settle your heart. That is, of course, if you get yourself into it and you look to his word for answers. So 150 is the urgency of prayer. I want to just go down through them so that we can get to this final one here. And that is the quality of the prayer, all your heart. The content of the prayer, justice, the justice of God. And it is so much bigger than people think. The persistence of prayer, that we need to be constantly going to, to the Father, morning and evening. The humility of our prayer. Let God answer us according to his character and according to his ordinances. Not according to our character and our ways. The humility of our prayer, the urgency of our prayer, right? The urgency, go to God with urgency, call on him, tell him that you're concerned. Running to him is the sign of faith. And then last but not least, the hope within the prayer. This to me is this central core, the heartbeat, if you will, of the anatomy of prayer. Look at verses 151 and 152. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them, antecedent commandments, you have founded them forever. Here's the hope that you have. Sure, those who follow after wickedness are drawing near. Where is God, though? Already near. Look, 
You are near. You are near. They're drawing near, but you're with me. What have, I, what have I to fear? What have I to be overwhelmed about? So he says, you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Here's the hope. Everything God says is true. Everything God says is true. If God says that he will never leave you nor forsake you, he will never leave you nor forsake you. If God says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If he tells you those whose minds are stayed on the Lord will be found in perfect peace, then stay your mind on the Lord because you will be found in perfect peace. We have a shortage of peace in this world because our minds are on wrong things. It's a fact. So let us stay there. Why why does David say this? Because he wants us to understand God's commands, God's truth, God's testimonies, God's statutes, God's ordinances, God's laws. They are true. But what's the duration of that truth? I love this passage. Of old, I have known from your testimonies, from the stories I've read, the Old Testament, the stories of his forefathers, the stories of those who came out of Egypt and were brought into a land flowing with milk and honey. The, those stories, those testimonies, from of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded your ordinances forever. What's the duration of God's truth? For, forever. The duration of God's truth is it never fades. We don't, he doesn't have an expiration date. So we have nothing to worry about in this. The the anatomy of this prayer is unbelievable. There's a quality to the prayer, a content to the prayer, a persistence in the prayer, a humility in our prayer, an urgency in our prayer. And then the heartbeat of that prayer is the hope of our prayer. And that hope rests in who God is and what he says because he is his word and his word never returns void. He is his word and it never returns void. That to me makes me rest. There is a lot of chaos going on around us, church. There's a lot of things, a lot of mixed information. There's a lot of confusing things. There's a lot of people who see this one way and a lot of people who see it another way. And you know what? The truth is, I'm good. I'm good. Why am I good? Not because the world is doing good. No, I can can be honest with you. I can say that there are many concerns that I have in moving forward in this country and in this world. I can tell you that those concerns are real, but I'm not moved by them. I'm not moved by them. If God tells the people of Israel, hunker down in Babylon for 70 years, I got you. He's got me. He's got me. There's nothing that I have to worry about. I'm not, in saying that, belittling your worry. I've actually told you what to do with your concerns and with your worry. Take them to God. Your worries and my worries, same. I'm not better because I have different worries. What we ought to do with those worries is run to our Heavenly Father and say, okay, the enemies are drawing near, but I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to have peace in you. I know that you got me, Lord. I know that you're good. In Psalm 145, 18 through 21, The psalmist says that the Lord is near to all who call upon him. This is the hope for us. He is near to all those who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. That's our MO. That's what we're supposed to do. In truth, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. 
He will also hear their cry and will save them. Context, justice. It's always justice, over and over. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. And look what Luke 21, 32, and 33 says. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What is our hope? The statutes and the commands of God. The statutes and the truths of God. His testimonies. He has founded those testimonies forever. You want, it, you want proof of it? Read his stories. Read his stories. Teach them to your children. Disciple your family in those stories. What you will do is you will set them on a firm foundation that no matter what comes against us, we have nothing to fear in this life. Nothing at all, church. So again, just from the top, the quality of our prayer. I want you to be willing this week to pray with all of your heart. With all of your heart. Give God everything that you've got. Pour it out to him. Pray with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Give it everything, okay? That's the quality of your prayer. The content of your prayer needs to be, Lord, in our world, we need justice. And you know what that means. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And help me to be your servant inside of all of that. The content of the prayer. The persistence of the prayer. Don't stop. Don't stop. Since day one, uh, my family sitting down at the, at the breakfast table and at the dinner table each day, uh, we have prayed a consistent prayer, kind of a three-fold prayer, okay? We pray, uh, number one, that God would bring an end to this virus. Hasn't happened yet, but we're still persistent in it. We're still going to call on him to bring an end to this virus. Number two, we're asking God every day that he would uh, bring peace to the world the way peace actually comes. Not through the cessation of war, not through better governments, but through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're praying for peace to come in the world. And we're also asking God to give us the boldness to declare it. And then last but not least, and this, is, this may be selfish, it may be whatever you want to say, but I keep praying that God would in this time uh, sustain and even grow our church physically, uh, spiritually, uh, in our hearts and in our minds. All of those pieces, we're asking God to grow us because here's what's beautiful. At the end of all of this, whenever that is, at the end of all of this, it will be undeniable that as God grows his church, he alone gets the glory. Because in this time, you don't grow a church. You panic. You worry about a lot of things. The truth is, God is in control. So we keep praying for those things. So we're persistent in that prayer, and I'm inviting you to be persistent in your prayers. Uh, fourth, the humility of your prayer. Remember that whatever God does is in accordance with his loving kindness and with his word. Not my character not your character. The next is the urgency of our prayer. Uh, we need to be honest about the, the, the things that we're concerned about. And then finally, the heartbeat of this, the hope of our prayer. What God says is recorded in all of the stories of old, and they are true forever. Forever. God never changes church. So this morning, we're going to close with, uh, with a time of worship, but I want to put all of this just in a really important framework for where we're at right now as a church.
I want you to, and, and as a world and as a nation, I want you to understand that we are supposed to be a people of prayer. In times like this, instead of fighting and arguing, instead of trying to push our opinions and our agendas and, and all of those things, there's time to talk about everything. There's times, hopefully, to civilly talk about everything. But there's times to talk about everything. But what we ought to be doing is being, uh, we ought to be a people marked by our prayer. We ought to be the people known for running to God and not fighting with each other. We ought to be the people who, who run to God in this kind of anatomy of prayer. We need to be running to God and not worrying like the rest of the world. We're a people of prayer, and we have a God who never fails. So what are we worried about? What are we stressed about? Shouldn't be anything, honestly. We should just trust him, okay? So uh, all of that is just something that I believe can help you. So as we get, uh, as we get prepared for a song to end with, I- I'm going to pray for you. And then what you're going to see on the screen for just a second is a couple of announcements that are going on. Updates, worship nights, secret sisters that are going. And we're going to continue to have more of that going. So if you would, join me in prayer. And then we're going to sing our way out today. Father, we thank you for all that you do. You are a good God, a faithful God, a loving God. And it's in your character and it's in your word that we place our trust. It is not in ourselves. It is not in anything else. It is you and your word. Father, be with us today. Give us guidance. Give us strength. Let us be marked uh, by love and by submission to you in all of our dealings and all of our ways. In Jesus' great name. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.